So I'm coaching soccer this fall. Um, five and six-year-olds, and yes, in case you're wondering, it is like herding cats, or clump, clump ball, as I call it sometimes. Um, but at one of the first practices, I, I showed them how to uh, properly, or the correct way to strike a soccer ball when you're trying to shoot it at, at the goal. Like other sports that involve striking a, a ball, there is a sweet spot, right? You, you know when you kick or hit the ball so perfectly that you barely feel the connection, where the energy from the swing of a leg or a bat or a racket transfers directly onto the ball. Now, when you're shooting a soccer ball, the sweet spot is your, your instep, it's your laces. Kicking the ball with your toe hurts, and it's far less accurate. Kicking the ball with the side of your foot um, is accurate, but it doesn't generate as much power. When you shoot a soccer ball in the, in the sweet spot of your foot, you know it. When you swing a tennis racket and the tennis ball hits the sweet spot of the racket, you know it. When you swing a baseball bat and the baseball connects with the sweet spot on the bat, you, you know it. I say all this because there is a sweet spot also for following Jesus and being his disciples. There's a sweet spot for following Jesus and being his disciples, and it centers around a dynamic balance between being gathered and scattered. Gathered and scattered. So let's go back to school with Jesus today. Let's pray. God, open our hearts and minds to your word for us this day. We pray that it would take root there, grow us and transform us so that we might live for you and and bear fruit for your kingdom. This we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. A reading this morning from the Gospel of, of Mark. I'll be reading from the third chapter, beginning in verse 13. Hear now God's word. Jesus went up on a mountain and called those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve and called them apostles. He appointed them to be with him, to be sent out to preach, and to have authority to throw out demons. He appointed twelve, Peter, a name he gave Simon, James and John, Zebedee's sons, whom he nicknamed Bonerges, which means son of thunder, and Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, Alphaeus' son, Thaddeus, Simon the Cananean, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed Jesus. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So last week, Jesus was by the sea. This, uh, today, he, uh, in this morning's passage, he's up on a mountain. Now, mountains were places where God often appeared in the Old Testament to call and commission people to do God's work, right? Um, on Mount Horeb, God called Moses and appointed him to uh, to free God's people from slavery in Egypt. On Mount Sinai, God, God called Israel to a particular way of life and, and gave them the law and made a special covenant with them. On Mount Horeb, again, God called to Elijah, the prophet, and appointed him to go back to where he was running from and to select new kings. And again, from a mountain, we have Jesus calling his disciples and appointing them to do certain things. But before he appoints them, he gives them a name. Before they're commissioned, he gives them a name. Mark tells us that Jesus calls them apostles. The word apostle literally means sent one. 
sent one. Jesus calls his disciples to himself and names them sent ones. Now, in ancient Near East culture, the act of naming someone or something was a matter of great consequence. Indeed, it was widely believed that the name of a thing reflected its essence, its very being. In some sense, the act of, the act of naming something meant creating. Think of God in the creation story when God creates and God names. So in other words, to give someone a name was not simply to give someone a title, it was to give them an identity. Jesus gives his followers the name and therefore the identity sent ones. Apostles. So at their core, at their very being, their very essence, they're supposed to be sent ones. People who go out with a message. People representing the one who, who sent them. The disciples came to Jesus in order to be sent out by him. They came to Jesus in order to be sent out by Jesus. Now remember that pattern because of what happens next. After Jesus defines their identity, when he gathers them, he provides their job description. He appoints them to be with him and to be sent out to preach and cast out demons. In other words, Jesus tells them that he wants them to be with him in community and also to go out and do the things that he did. Be with me in community, but also live sent lives. Do you see that pattern again? For Jesus, being a disciple is a pattern of gathered and scattered, with and sent. Gathering together to be near Christ uh, uh, and receive guidance and strength, then scattering to do Christ's work in the world. Then gathering back together again with Jesus to celebrate what they witnessed while living sent. Then going back out again to give themselves away in love. Gathered and scattered. Sweet spot. We see this pattern play out in the Gospels. Later on in Mark chapter 6, Jesus gathers the twelve and then sends them out in pairs, giving them authority uh, over unclean spirits and instructing them to proclaim to the people that they should change their hearts and lives and trust the good news. So the disciples scatter and they do Christ's bidding in the villages near Galilee. And then later in the chapter, the sent ones, the apostles, return to Jesus. They gather at his feet again and tell him everything and celebrate everything that they had done and taught. And Jesus, in fact, thinks that this gathering time is so important that when a crowd starts to appear, he pulls away and invites the disciples to come with him to a secluded place. We see this pattern play out at Pentecost too, right? The disciples are all gathered together in one place, still coming to grips with Jesus' resurrection. And then the Holy Spirit comes uh, upon all of them, and they are empowered to preach the gospel in different languages. And they go out and begin to preach in, in different places and start churches. Again, gather, scatter, gather, scatter. Sweet spot. Think about the sacraments themselves in this pattern of gathered and scattered. In communion, we're, we're gathered around the table and we share in the bread and, and the cup. 
We remember Jesus' death and we are remembered as in reconnected together as the body of Christ. We ingest God's grace. And because of that meal, because of that meal, we're given nourishment to go as the body of Christ, scattering into the world to give of ourselves for others. So that what happens at the communion table when we gather happens at office tables and picnic tables and kitchen tables when we scatter. In communion, Jesus appoints us to be with him, and he appoints us to be apostles, with and sent, gathered and scattered, sweet spot. Or in baptism, God gathers us together around the waters as God gathers another beloved child into God's forever family, and at that same time that God claims, God also commissions. Because when we're baptized, we're enlisted in God's mission in the world to live a sent life. In baptism, Jesus point, appoints us to be with him, and he appoints us to be apostles. With and sent, gathered and scattered. Discipleship, sweet spot. So the question is, are we in that sweet spot? I had a really uh, interesting, spiritual, almost mystical experience this week during some morning prayer time at the chapel near my office at, at Wake Forest, there's this picture in the chapel hanging on the wall of Jesus, and he's sitting on what I only assume is, is the Mount of Olives, and he's looking down with this very complex expression at Jerusalem below. It's kind of a, a, this gaze mixed of, of sadness and longing and love. And initially, as I was, as I was looking at it, I thought about the scripture passage when Jesus says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I've longed to gather you as, as, a, as a mother. Uh, mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings. Um, and, and then my perception uh, and my reflection changed to the present moment. And I imagined Jesus, instead of looking down on Jerusalem, Jesus gazing at the world and his church. And, and the question that came to mind and that still um, it haunts me is, is this. Would Jesus recognize at all what we call the Christian life and church? Would he, would he recognize at all what we, we call discipleship? Say, oh, I, I know what that is. I don't know. It can be easy to miss the sweet spot. It can be easy to, to focus too much on the gather at the expense of the scatter. Right? This would be focusing so much on, on gathered fellowship and, and, and worship with other Christians that we neglect the sent lifestyle, the apostolic identity Jesus confers upon us, like being everyday missionaries in the places we live, work, and play. This is kind of a classic, very traditional paradigm that equates discipleship with an hour, an hour of Sunday worship, Sunday school, and some midweek program at the church building. Right? This, this would be confining all that Jesus-y stuff to places and times when we're at church. This is conflating all of what it means to be a disciple with gathering together to consume spiritual goods. And COVID really, I think, exposed how prevalent this is for many, uh, for many Christians. For many, they, they didn't know how to function, like to be a disciple or the church without worshiping in person in a building for an hour on Sunday. This is going to sound crazy but true, and I, I heard stories from other pastor friends who actually had uh, parishioners stop giving because they weren't having in-person worship, so what does the church need money for? We're not doing anything right now. 
Because discipleship is just about gathered fellowship in a church building. Of course not. But the hard truth, like if we're really honest with ourselves, that the last 40 years of Sunday services and biblical sermons and fellowship and programs to, to fit every need have not really produced a set of Christians that have significantly changed the culture. And that's because the problem is this is missing half of, of the beautiful equation. Jesus wouldn't recognize this. And yet the irony is this is precisely the season begging for us to truly be apostles, sent ones. People are desperate, friends, right now for hope, for good news, for community, for friendship, for acceptance, love right now. What does our scattered life look like for Jesus? On the other hand, of course, and you know where I'm going, it's also problematic to focus so much on the scatter at the expense of the gather. If we're always scattered and never gather together around Jesus in community, we never reconnect to the source, the truth, the life. We start running on fumes and we end up spiritually dry. We start to change the world and and do Christ's work under our own strength and might, using our own ideas of what is true and right, and following our own timeline and agenda, instead of using the power of Christ through the Holy Spirit, his ideas of what is true and right, his agenda and timeline. If we, if we don't gather to worship fellowship, hear from God, where are we getting truth from? Facebook? Cable news? What's calibrating our lives? What's drawing, what are we drawing strength from? What's our source of redemption? We can live scattered lives trying to do good in our communities and still never call people into the gathered worshiping community to hear the word proclaim and participate in the sacraments. The truth is, historically, when the church was on the run, dispersed, under fire, facing all kinds of challenges and change, they found strength by, by gathering together around Jesus. You know, kind of like right now. Regular gatherings of believers give followers of Jesus a sense of identity. It encourages us. It gives us strength to persevere in our mission. It's where Jesus tells us and reminds us who, who we are and whose we are. And don't we especially need that right now? I got a convicting reminder a, a, a few months ago when I was a little out of balance and not in the sweet spot. I don't remember where I read it. So I don't know who said it, but I remember the quote because it called me out. Never let your public passion for doing Jesus' work exceed your personal devotion to him. Never let your public passion for doing Jesus' work exceed your personal devotion to him. Because you see, Jesus might not recognize it either when all, when all we're doing is a bunch of community service but never, ga never gathering corporately together at his feet to worship and be. Really, it should be like breathing. <sighs> We're meant to breathe in and out. Both are necessary for living. The same is true with discipleship. God breathes us in when God gathers us together for corporate worship and fellowship with God and one another, where God feeds us with truth and grace through word and sacrament, through connection and thanksgiving. God breathes us out when God sends us out in the world to do the work of Christ where we live, where we work, where we play. Blessing others, loving them, sharing about Christ, inviting them. When we scatter, 
we incarnate what God has been doing in our hearts while we gathered. When we gather, we celebrate what God has been doing in our neighborhoods, our families, our workplaces while we scattered. What makes gathering for worship and fellowship that much better is when we have good news, God fodder to, to celebrate together because of how we live sent lives since the last time we gathered. What makes scattering in the world to serve God so much better is when we can do so from a place of deep joy and strength and love because of how we gathered for worship and communion with God. And that, that sweet spot, it, it, it's beautiful when we hit it. Because all of a sudden we, we see it happen in real time. We, we hear a scripture passage or a message about forgiveness. We taste it in the bread and cup because we allowed ourselves to be gathered for worship. And then lo and behold, an opportunity comes up that very same week for us to forgive someone. As we boldly live out our sent identity. Or we take a family in our neighborhood a meal because we allowed ourselves to, to be scattered for Jesus. And we wind up having an amazing conversation that points back to Jesus. And then lo and behold, the next time we gather for worship or fellowship, we have extra reason to give God thanks and praise and glory. That family might even be with us. Who knows? What brings meaning to our gather is how well we scatter. What brings strength to our scatter is how well we gather. Let me say that again. What brings meaning to our gather is how well we scatter. What brings strength to our scatter is how well we gather. So let's ask ourselves this morning, as Jesus has gathered us together to send us out, what, what are my gathering habits? How am I with Jesus and other disciples to worship, to hear truth, to receive strength and mercy? What am I scattering habits for Jesus? How am I living sent, being the light and love of Christ, sharing Jesus with others? Jesus appointed us to be with him. Are we doing that? Jesus called us sent ones and sent us out in the world to do his work. Are, are we doing that? Are we in that life-giving, discipleship-forming rhythm, just like breathing in and out? My prayer over the rest of this year, as we all figure out what the new normal is, is that God's Spirit would nudge us or push us. Maybe we need pushing. God's Spirit would nudge us or push us into that sweet spot and that it wouldn't just be sweet it would be life abundant in the name of the father son and holy spirit amen